You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. All right, without further ado, let us turn to the book of Acts and get into the word of God. Uh, so if you've been with us, you know that we are taking our time digging in to the book of Acts. And again, this is Luke's account, Dr. Luke's account, um, his second part sequel to the gospel of Luke. Now it's the Acts of the Apostles, or even better even said, the Acts of Jesus through the Spirit-filled, empowered believers in the world. And we are uh, moving our way through it, this story of Scripture, where God has for us. And if you were here last week, before we get into the text this week, you would know that we talked about Pentecost. And Pentecost, remember the scene in Jerusalem, it was during the Feast of Weeks where thousands would pilgrimage to there to celebrate and remember all that God had done. And what happens is that the Holy Spirit, for the very first time, falls upon the church and fills believers with the very presence of God. And it's a powerful, incredible move of the Spirit. And we saw that the first thing the Spirit of God did was empower these believers to speak the wonders of God in all the different languages and dialects that were happening in the city at that time. Because it was a festival, uh, the Feast of Weeks, it brought in pilgrims from Europe and North Africa and the Middle East. They journeyed for days and weeks to get there, and they were hearing the wonders of God coming from this upper room, from these uneducated, untrained Galileans. They were hearing it in their own dialect. And uh, it was pretty incredible. Go listen to the podcast uh, and, and jump into that text if you missed it. But what happened was, is that these people hearing it, they were amazed. How are these people speaking my own dialect? But they questioned the the source of it. They actually um, said, hey, you know what? Those those people are just drunk. It's nine in the morning, I know, but they've just drunk a lot, and they're they're just really weird up there. And what happened was that Peter began to address this issue, and he starts this sermon, this teaching into uh, expanding on who Jesus is, what he came to do, and this truth being available for them as well. And so Acts 2, 22 through 41 is our text today with that context for you. So why don't you read with me, Acts 2, 22 through 41 says this, Peter speaking, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by his miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest in hope. 
because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew what, that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this incredible testimony of your gospel going forth and the truth that we see in the text. Even though this was 2,000 years ago, in a completely different context and culture, thank you that these truths are as true today as they were back then. That Jesus, you died for each of us to forgive our sin and you defeated sin, death, and the devil. You had victory over them and we share in that victory. You give us life, that abundantly and that eternal. And so God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, Holy Spirit, that you'd minister to each of us where we're at. God, that you would make me your mouthpiece, that I would communicate these truths, the truths that you want us to hear this morning. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I want, what I want to do today is really just break down this section into three easy ways for us to kind of grab hold on, grab hold to. Number one is the messenger who's speaking this message, Peter. We're going to dig into that a little bit. Secondly, I want to look at the message itself and the content of what Peter is saying, and then look a little bit even deeper into the effects of that message, the results of that message going forth and the fruit that it bore. But before we get into the actual sermon, the meat of what Peter is saying, I want to stop and see the potency and the power of the one speaking it. So this is Peter, right? Peter, the fisherman that God called on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
Peter, come and follow me. Lay your nets down. Leave your father's business, your trade. He was a fisherman by trade, a generational. His father and his father before that had been fishermen. Come follow me. He left his nets in the Sea of Galilee, and he's been with Jesus these three odd years, seeing what Jesus did, hearing what Jesus said, sharing meals with him. And along the way, he's had uh, quite a bit of ups and quite a bit of downs. Some to know, you know, this famous scene at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus is with his followers and people are talking about who Jesus really is. Who do people say that I am? And Jesus says this question to his disciples and Peter is the one that says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. You're the one that was meant to come. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the son of God. And he says, yes, Peter, you've got it. My father told you that. Peter got the right answer when no one else did. And it was a really good answer. We also saw that there was, there was instances where Peter, when Jesus was walking on water, Jesus called to him, said, Peter, come to me. And Peter began to walk on water, we see in Matthew chapter 14. And he did it for a little bit. But then his eyes stopped being on Jesus, went to the wind and to the waves, and he began to sing. It's good for a little bit, but he failed the test, so to speak. But as of recent, specifically surrounding the crucifixion, on the eve of the crucifixion, Peter blew it big time. He actually hit rock bottom. Probably the worst thing that Peter would ever do for the rest of his life, he did. And it started right in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Judas and the Romans came to arrest Jesus, Peter cuts off the Roman centurion's ear out of impulse, just cuts the ear off of the captor. And Jesus is like, Peter, cool down. Stop. Like, I got this. This is okay. Stop. But it gets worse. Jesus said that this would happen. But when Jesus was on trial, being crucified, what did Peter do? He denied even knowing Christ and being his follower, not once, not twice, but three times, he denies, he betrays his very Lord that he's been with, that he's given his life over for. When the rubber met the road, fear came upon him. And he said, no, I don't even know him. I mean, we're talking rock bottom, betraying Jesus. This is why I see so much significance in the fact that Peter, this same Peter that 50 days earlier hit rock bottom and literally denied this Jesus publicly, he's the one that's doing the talking and preaching. A lot, a lot of other disciples had a way better track record. Like, right, Jesus would always refer to his beloved or almost his favorite disciple, it's John. John would recline on his, you know, chest during a meal, this intimate relationship that John had with him. But no, it's not John. It's Peter. It's fickle Peter. It's betrayer Peter. It's unfaithful Peter that's doing the preaching. And if there is anyone who could have been absolutely paralyzed with shame, it would have been Peter. And we wouldn't have um, even sweat it. I'd be like, yeah, I totally get how you feel. You just denied Jesus publicly as one of his closest followers. If there's anyone that could have been paralyzed with the shame of that, it could have been him. 
right? His sin, his past track record, his faithfulness was really bad. And I'm reading into it, but I'm sure that he struggled with feeling value, like feeling worth. God had given him everything in the person of Jesus, and he, and he, and he blew it. I'm sure he struggled with discouragement and shame, but here's what's beautiful about this in our text today as I believe that Peter is the model example of the grace of God being lived out in proper identity. I'm going to explain that in a second, but there's something very profound here that is true for us as well. And so church, we need to listen up. Peter's past didn't define him. His sin and his mistakes did not determine his core identity, his worth, or his usefulness to God. The same is true for us. You have to take that one to the bank. Hear me. Some of us need to hear this more than others. Our past, our sin, this doesn't have to be our way past. Peter, it was like 50 days fresh. Okay, our past and our sin and our mistakes don't define us. For so many of us, we struggle to believe that and walk in that. And it paralyzes us. We live in shame. We live in guilt. We live in fear. We may be born again Christians. We may be forgiven on paper, but we're still walking in, but you don't know what I did. But you don't know who I was. God does. And he says, walk in freedom and walk in forgiveness and walk in grace. Friends, if we can know this and believe in it and walk in it, everything's going to be okay. Where things get out of whack is when we don't. When we live out of a place of our sin and our past and our failure determines everything about us. And when we live in that, everything's going to go bad. Because the core of our foundation is wrong. I'll take it a step further, though. Our success or lack of it does not give us our value or worth either. Our actions or our inactions, good or bad, do not define us. I hope there's like a breath of fresh air. I hope there's like exhale burdens off you. Because you know what defines us? You know what defines Peter? You know what defines us? First and foremost is that we were created in the image of God. That, that's first and foremost. Let's start there, Genesis 1.27. Every human being is created with innate value and worth from his or her creator. Doesn't matter anything that's happened to you, what you've done or haven't done, the mistakes you've made. You were created with value and worth, and that goes to every single man, woman, and child on this planet. But with that, all of humanity also, insert each of our names there, have sinned. We've rebelled, we've sinned against, we've turned away from God and our created nature. And for Peter, it was betrayal to Jesus. That's, that's part of it. It was really gnarly. For us, insert your own sin there. Insert your sinful past. Insert the stuff that you don't want to think about, don't want to talk about. 
Because here's the deal. What's offered to the world, and for those of us that are saved, we've partaken in this, is that the cross redeems, reconciles, and renews us back to a right standing with God. Brings us back to that place that he created us to be in. And so hear this. The creator and the cross are what define us. We are created with value, and the cross redeems us back. And we're image bearers, right? We're redeemed saints. We're beloved sons and daughters of the king. And so for Peter here, although he is anointed by the Spirit to preach this sermon, a huge component and reason why he's even doing it in the first place is that he's walking in his created identity. He's receiving grace. He's surrendering his shame, and he's living in forgiveness. If Peter wasn't, he would have never done this. Right? He would have been like, can't do it. Not me. I just betrayed Jesus. How could I even speak of him? But that's not what you see here. What Peter is doing is he has received the grace of God. He's surrendering his shame, and he's living and walking in forgiveness. If there's, if there's anything you get from today, okay, let it be this, that you were created with value, with dignity and honor. You're made in God's image, right? Men and women of every color, of every ethnicity, and every language. And please take Peter's life as a walking example of how because of the forgiveness of the cross, our past, our sin, doesn't disqualify or devalue you. Receive grace today. Surrender your shame and walk in forgiveness. I'm going to say it again because, like, literally the key to your life right here. <laughs> like, this is the gospel. Preach it to yourself daily. This is something you want to write down. This is something, like, if you're, like, a note on the... You're brushing your teeth. You have it on your speedometer thing. Receive grace. Surrender your shame and walk in forgiveness. The, cr the cross and the creator have given you value and worth. And none, none of that has disqualified you. If anything, it's given you a story that God wants to use. Like Peter, God desires to use our own unique stories, Right? and testimonies to declare the goodness of God to those around us. Ohana, hear this. God desires to use us each with our individual stories of triumph and failure. Like those things make up our story, but they don't define and determine our future. But they are our stories, and God wants to bring glory even in the midst of triumph or failure. And that's exactly what Peter does here. Despite all that just happened, he's receiving grace, he's surrendering shame, he's walking in forgiveness, and what does he do? He testifies of it. That's all this is. He is testifying, he's declaring, he's communicating the truth of who God is and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that's the message part of our text today. It's point two, the gospel. In a nutshell, this is the gospel message. Peter here is preaching the age-old, straightforward good news of Jesus. 
And specifically, his main theme and his purpose that he's trying to drive home to this very Jewish audience that's pilgrimed from all over, he's proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth is truly the Lord and the Messiah that they've all been waiting for. Look no further. The Messiah has come, and it's Jesus. This is what he's saying. Most significantly is that he was teaching to a Jewish audience and they were anticipating the Messiah, Israel's savior, savior, for hundreds if not thousands of years. And the Messiah was the one that was going to come and make all things right. And at that time, it's so important to know that like they also, this Jewish audience, believed that the Messiah, this promised Savior, would come through the line of King David, their patriarch. That was a big, like, the Messiah has to be a descendant of King David. That's what prophecies told us. That's what we believe. It has to happen that way. And the expectation of this Davidic Messiah burned brightly in the hearts of these pious religious Jews in the first century including those in the circle into which Jesus was born. Again, we wouldn't know that necessarily, but Peter does. He understands the context, and he understands his audience, and he understands that this is a big component to them. And so he preaches the gospel, specifically trying to address that Jesus truly is of the line of David. And so he goes on to do that. And from early on, a regular practice when um, the message or the preaching of the gospel would go forth, it actually would comprise four elements that that Peter actually does here. So um, let me just bring those up for a second. Number one is that when the gospel was preached in that time, a lot of times it would come with the announcement that the age of fulfillment has arrived, meaning You guys have been anticipating the Messiah. It's here. No more waiting. It's Jesus. And that's that's a big part of Peter's proclamation here. Number two is an account of the ministry, death, and triumph of Jesus. So what comes next is detailing who Jesus was and what he did. That he died and rose again and, and why he did that. But then there would, be, there would come the, um, the proof, the evidence, and Old Testament citations were used. So citations of Old Testament scriptures whose fulfillment in these events proved Jesus to be the one whom they pointed forward to kind of bolster the case of the person saying it. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. Old Testament has prophesied this. Jesus fulfilled it all. And it would end with a call to repentance. So with that truth, because of what I told you, now turn from your wicked ways. Surrender and repent of your sin and receive the forgiveness of your God. And that's exactly what Peter does, almost identically. Right, last week, Peter announces that the age of fulfillment has come, verse 16, and now he summarizes the story of Jesus. Right, verses 22 through 24 of our text today is Peter just recalling the last three years, specifically the crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He he does that. Let, Let me give you a snapshot of the gospel. Here's what Jesus did. 
Then verses 25 through 28 and 29 through 36 of our text today, these are Old Testament quotations from the book of Psalms, right? Psalm 16 and Psalm 123. And the reason why Peter's doing it, he's doing it as a testimony confirming Peter's claim. And again, this would be extremely important to his Jewish Old Testament educated audience. And and the gist here is that Peter is proving Jesus' lineage to King David, that he truly is the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. So he does all this. And it says that they're cut to the heart. They not only believe, the dots not only are connected for them in their minds theologically, But if it's true that Jesus is the Messiah, they had just been a part of killing him. That's what just happened. Again, we're reading this 2,000 years later, and for us, we're like, we didn't kill Jesus. But on the streets of Jerusalem during the Feast of Weeks, 50 days prior, they were a part of putting the Messiah to death. And so in verse 38, when it says they were cut to the heart, they were as remorseful and sad and broken that you could ever imagine. If it's true that Jesus is of the line of David, that he is the coming Messiah, we just kill our Messiah. We just killed our Lord. We just killed the Son of God. And so Peter, what he does is he offers a call of repentance. And despite them being a part of crucifying their own Messiah... This is what's crazy. Peter says, if you repent of your sin and you turn to God and submit to baptism in the name of Jesus and you confess him as your Messiah, not only would they receive forgiveness of sins, but they would also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, think about that. Wait a second. We just killed Jesus. And you're saying that God, his Father, is willing to forgive us of that? He says, yes. Forgive and forget our sins. Wash us white as snow. God can forgive our past. And Peter says, yes, turn to God. Be forgiven, be refreshed. And you know what God also wants to do? He wants to give you a gift, a gift of himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the radical nature of the gospel? Grace is an undeserved gift. What do these Jews deserve? They had just killed the Messiah. They didn't deserve life. They didn't deserve forgiveness. They didn't deserve joy and peace and a hope and eternity with their God. But that is grace. That is the grace and mercy and love of the gospel that is for all of us. And again, what repentance is by nature is it's a change of heart. It's a spiritual about face saying I was going this way, I was living for myself, I wasn't living for God, I want to turn to God. I want to say you know, no to my old life and my sinful self, and I want to turn to God, I want to be his now, I want to receive all that God has for me. That's repentance. And so Peter calls this crowd to repentance, and repentance isn't something new. John the Baptist talked about repentance. Um, Jesus talked about repentance. The disciples had talked about repentance before. But again, Not just then, not just now, but for eternity, repentance is a key element to the proclamation of the gospel. It's a key element to us knowing the Lord. And so here, 
Here's where it applies to us. All, all that does, but here's where it applies a bit more. We have the privilege, responsibility to do the same to those around us in the same way that Peter communicated the truth of who Jesus was to his surrounding audience. We too have that privilege as followers of Jesus to do the same, to share and teach of our brokenness and our depravity and how the hope of forgiveness and the wholeness of Christ has met us. We, each of us, not just some of us, not just the preachers, not just the pastors, not just the evangelists, not if you're just a good orator, but all of us get to be vessels for God to use in this way. And if that overwhelms you, to be comforted, Peter didn't know everything. He didn't go to Bible college. He went to the school of hard knocks. He barely knew stuff. He knew the basics, maybe a little bit more. He was a work in progress for sure. But for us, what is important, it is important that we know what we believe. A basic framework and basically how to share it. And what's even more important is that we know in Scripture ourselves what the gospel is. Only listen to podcasts, only read books that aren't the Bible. There, if you do not know scripture yourself, if you do not know what the Bible says, you can easily be led astray, and there is any, there is, there's many false gospels, twisted gospels, skewed gospels. Know your Bible, know the gospel, know what it means. Cannot say that enough. But don't think you have to know everything about it in order to share it. I see so many people saying, well, I can't do that. I don't even understand it myself. Just testify of the goodness of God. It's okay to get it wrong. You can go back to him and be like, actually, that's not true. Dude, I remember like I got saved when I was 13 and um, little rambunctious Riz, you know, and I read the Bible for the first time. I didn't grow up in the church, read the Bible for the first time. I was like 13, 14, and I was so zealous that I got a lot of stuff wrong. Like I misinterpreted scripture. I would take things out of context. But that's okay. That wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point was is that I just, dude, I, I had countered Jesus and I loved him and I read his word and like, this is insane. This is amazing. I need to tell everyone about it. That, that was the point. Like open up your mouth, open up your lips. I'm extroverted, so that's not too hard for me. But... To encourage you, you don't need to know everything. Open up your mouth. <laughs> but look at the effects when Peter does it. Peter's uneducated, he's untrained, he's messy, he's sinful, he's broken, he's hurting, but he's willing. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He preaches this message. And what are the effects of that? The word of God and the spirit of God go forth to the crowd. What happens? 3,000 people get saved. Do you have any idea how many 3,000 3, is? Like the Waikiki shell packed is 6,000 people. That's a, that's a lot of people. So half of that is 3,000 people in a moment get saved one sermon. It's absolutely incredible. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at how these group of people that have nothing, have, know nothing, organize that into the church. 
what they do, the blueprints of the church. We're going to look at prayer and worship and community and gatherings over the next five weeks because they got to figure out how to do church with 3,000 people in an instant. These guys don't know what they're doing. They have no experience. It's great. feels like us. I love it. But again, it doesn't always look like this. It doesn't always look like a Billy Graham evangelistic Harvest Crusade style preaching platform and many get saved all the time. Sometimes it does, right? Sometimes there's a pastor or a preacher that preaches to a large crowd and a Peter type thing happens. But more than likely... The day in and day out way in which God desires to use all of us is in a much smaller, more relational, and more personal way. Where we share with a coworker, we pray for someone, we, we share a testimony over lunch. Maybe it's like a family reunion and we like share about our lives and we testify of God's goodness and seeds are planted. And the most, most of the time in, in our lives, it's a long game. It takes a long time. Sometimes it's in the moment, and sometimes people get saved right away, as we see here in Acts. But so many times, seeds are planted, and it takes a while, and it takes maybe a circumstance, and then all of a sudden, people will come to the Lord. But if I were to poll this room and ask you your own personal testimony, most likely, a key component would be that a person in your life, most likely a friend, a coworker, or a family member, at least opened the door in your life to talk about Jesus or invited you to church or gave you a Bible. Most likely, you just didn't show up out of the blue into a church building or like an evangelistic crusade, so to speak, and all of a sudden you heard it. Most likely, it was from a seed planted, a friend, a text message invite. Hey, I'm going to church, want to come? It was personable. It was relational. And even though this was a larger scale, Peter was actually being really relational. How did he address the crowds? Fellow Israelites, my people, my neighbors. And then he's making so many important culturally Jewish connections. He's really mindful of his audience. He's really mindful of what is important to them, what they care about, what walls they've put up. Like He's not just like, preaching a gospel and be like, this is the truth. He's very mindful and relational of who he's talking to. And I believe to see gospel fruit in this way, best case, it's always done relationally. Like in genuineness. Like you get to know the person, you're aware of their lives, and you genuinely care about them, and you're genuinely interested in their lives. And you know what that does is it pulls walls down And it gives you insight of what to avoid and open doors where people need to hear a certain part of the gospel preached to them. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Once you get to know, like say you you work next to someone every day, and if you're nice to them, hopefully you're showing them Jesus. It's okay to be real, but hopefully, right? And you get to know their life. You get to know, oh, man, they're divorced, and it's messy, and they've got kids, and they drink too much. You just, you just know their life. Then, when the time arises, when the Holy Spirit anoints you, empowers you, when there's an open door, you begin to speak to them. You are aware of where they're at, what they need to hear, how they need to hear it. If you don't, 
It's not, not going to be as good. It's going to be sticky. You know, you know what I mean by that. But I believe that the most powerful way for us here today, like Peter, to share the gospel is through our own personal testimony. To testify for what God's done in our own lives. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to recap your own life. You can say, dude, I was like addicted to this. I was broken. I was struggling with that. And I gave my life to Jesus and look what's happened. Let me tell you about the joy I have now. Let me tell you about the hope. Let me tell you what God has done for me in my own life. It's the most powerful thing you can do in sharing the gospel. It's by the power of the Spirit and God's word you declare how we ourselves have been changed by Christ and experience his grace. And you know what's really powerful is if you're real and you, you share about your brokenness and you share how God's love met you in your mess, just like Peter, and he transformed you. That'll preach all day long. That's the fruit. That's what, if there's anything I can exhort you in today, whether, whether you're introverted or extroverted or been a Christian for a day or like 50 years, is be the type of person to those around you that just testify of God's goodness. Do it in your way. Do it, do it. Me, I'm more loud. This guy, a lot of hands. That's me, though. So God's going to use that, though. For you, maybe it's more one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe it's um, certain people, not others. It's okay, just, just testify to those people. And if you remember, it doesn't only have to be words, it's deeds and words. If you look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and there was all these miraculous deeds, works happening, but also Peter preaches the gospel, and there's all these rich theological truths. So it's actually word and deed. So these people are not only hearing, but they're seeing God work in these people's lives. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Getting excited, being too extroverted. There's two truths to hold on to as you go out those doors and as you participate in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. These are the two truths I want you to hold on to and write down if you're taking notes. One is God's word is active and doesn't come back void. We trust in the power and potency of God's word. And as we share it, it's powerful to go to the heart of people. And it's powerful to plant seeds and do work on its own by the power of the spirit. So don't feel like it's all up to you to save people. I got to change their mind. I got to convince them. I can't leave until I, they know I'm right. No. In love, in grace, with truth, communicate who God is, knowing that the word of God does not come back void. It's going to work in their lives. <clears throat> also, all God is asking of us is to be available and try to be faithful to what he places in front of us. It's not up to us to save. God just wants us to be faithful with the unique people. God... You guys don't understand. They're, they're, everyone in your life, God has placed them there. And you might be the only person that knows Jesus that they'll either ever know 
or ever will tell them about. I think we think everyone knows about Jesus. That's not true. And if they know about Jesus, it's distorted probably and not full of grace and truth. Guys, let's be faithful to just be willing and available to be used by God. And you know what's crazy? These, these disciples in this upper room, Peter, the guys, their value and their worth and drive wasn't supposed to be hinged on the ministry of this success. God is reminding him again, like, don't bank on this. This isn't always going to happen because if we see in Acts, what's going to happen is there's persecution. There's martyrdom. But God uses all of that. Why? Because they're willing, they're available, and they're filled with the Spirit. Guys, it's up to us to be available, to be used by the Holy Spirit and declare and proclaim God's goodness to others. And God will do the rest. We just communicate and testify and God will do the rest. We are the means, though, by which God's kingdom is continuing to be spread here on earth. And we get the privilege to be co-laborers with Christ in seeing his gospel, gospel go forth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you that you love every single person and you've designed us in your image and you've also sent your son to die to save us, to forgive our sin. Not only do I pray that we would just sit in that for a while, that we'd be reminded of the gospel in our own lives, but God, I pray like Peter, we would just be willing and available to be used to share about this goodness to those in our unique spheres of influence. God, for those of us that are fearful of this, I pray that you'd give us great courage. For those of us that maybe are confused, I pray you give clarity. But, but Holy Spirit, we want to be a people that... Just declare your goodness. God, thank you that you designed it, that we wouldn't just keep it to ourselves, but we would share it. We would testify. We would be your witnesses. Would you help us to do that? And God, would you give us your heart for our bosses, our neighbors, our friends, our family, those that we run into around town, around the island? We, we pray you'd give us your heart, your eyes, and your words to speak truth to them. God, use our unique giftings and our unique stories for your glory. Thank you that you, you've designed us differently for a reason. And so Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our lives? We, we give you glory and honor. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.